The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead on this Friday. Stocks are up again today, led by the tech trade, which is up 4% this week. Amazon and Apple leading the way today. Roku, on the other hand, a total disaster, falling 25%. We've got the story on all three and the best ways to trade tech from here. Plus, if we could make more, we would sell more. Fresh off his meeting with the president, the CEO of Corning joins us live here in studio with his take on recession and inflation. And Gina Sanchez is buying the farm. Three ag stocks she likes and one food name she is steering clear of. That's ahead in three buys and a bail. But first, we begin with today's market. Dom Chu has the numbers, Dom. All right, so Kelly, what we have right now is a nice rally today to kind of follow up on the general positive theme that we've ended this particular July with. Right now, the Dow Industrial is up 200 points, up north of one half of 1%. The S&P 500 up about one full percent, 43 points, 41.15 the last trade. And the composite index for the NASDAQ, 153-point upside, up one and a quarter percent, 12,316. And as you can see behind me, just about the most important sectors out there right now are in the green. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now, one place you want to keep a close eye on is what's happening with the energy complex overall. There's a reason why energy is by a decent margin, a good outperforming sector versus the market, because Chevron and Exxon, the oil majors, so to speak, the big integrated names, come out, came out with earnings that both topped analyst expectations. Chevron also getting a nice boost because they are going to up the higher end of their stock buyback guidance. So that's a big deal. Chevron and Exxon shares leading that, that energy sector higher. The energy ETFs, the big ones that track various parts of the market, all doing very solid gains along with it. So watch that big energy trade for Chevron and Exxon. And then the one place that you've got to kind of keep an eye on with regard to whether or not it does indicate something more broadly speaking in tech is Intel. Chip-making giant, no doubt, but it's down about 8.5%, 9% at this point here. After coming out with disappointing results on the top and bottom lines, they also cut their full-year forecast on the top and bottom line. And a lot of investors are worried a little bit about how this may signal some softening demand in certain parts of that tech market. But keep an eye on Intel. Nonetheless, despite that, of course, Amazon's doing a lot of heavy lifting in the discretionary sector. So we'll watch that generally in up market today. Cal, I'll send things back over. Dom, thank you. And we will see you again soon. Now, this is the week that the GDP data told a recession story, but the rest of the numbers are spinning a different tale. Let's review. On Tuesday, one of the key leading economic gauges, new orders for durable goods, unexpectedly climbed for June and have continued to rise since January, making it unlikely we were actually in a first half recession. Another leading gauge, this time of the labor market yesterday also improved. Jobless claims dropping to 256,000. This was the same day we learned that GDP for the second quarter came in negative at 0.9%. The second straight quarterly drop in real terms, but at the same time, nominal GDP surged by more than 8%. Today, the employment cost index higher than expected, showing strength in wages that could keep the consumer going in the months ahead. While the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, not good, hotter than expected, rising one 
1% just for the month for the PCE, six-tenths for the core. That's excluding food and energy. It brings the year-on-year readings to 6.8% for the headline, which is a 40-year high, and 4.8% for the core. So are we in a recession, or is it still inflation that is plaguing this economy? Joining us now is Diane Swank. She's now the chief economist at KPMG. Diane, welcome. Uh, Inflation, to me, still the boogeyman here. Absolutely. And that's one of the key issues is that when you look at the inflation adjusted employment cost index, you look at the inflation adjusted wages, what you see out there is what consumers are feeling. And that is that they have lost everything that they've gained through wage gains and then some to inflation. And I think that's what's really the issue out there at the moment. That doesn't mean we won't hit a full-blown recession, one that economists would call a recession in the next, you know, by the end of this year. But at the moment, we're not in a recession. But to say that it's not painful is also wrong. It's extremely painful because we're eroding living standards. 100%. We've already seen consumer confidence dropping to worse than recessionary levels, a 75-year low for the University of Michigan uh, recently. So here's, I guess, the question. The markets right now, bond market, you could argue stock market, uh, certainly are telling you that inflation is a conquered beast. (laughs) Do you believe that that is the case? You know, do you believe that we're going to go from the readings we're seeing in the last couple of months to something like the two to two and a half percent sustainable range that break evens are now pricing in and that the 10 year yield seems to be reflecting? I wish that was the case. I don't think that's going to be easily the case. In fact, I think we're going to have to see the unemployment rate rise pretty significantly from where we're at right now to get to the Fed's 2% target sustained and really derail the underlying inflation that we have building out there. And I think, you know, the Fed's goal, of course, at the end of the day is to have inflation not influence our behaviors at all. And there's no question that inflation is skewing not only household behaviors, but now firm behaviors as well. And I think that's very important to keep in mind as we go into the fall that, you know, even as inflation cools, will it cool enough to do not become more entrenched? And the Fed wants to avert that mistake of the 1960s and 70s that delivered us the stagflation by not going far enough to derail the inflation that we've got. Yeah, because it seems like all of the headlines about recession are going to complicate this effort by the Fed to fight inflation. They're going to make it sound to the public, maybe even to policymakers themselves, like they shouldn't risk tightening too much into a downturn, when in fact, perhaps they should be tightening more into an acceleration of inflation. What did you make of this pickup in the PCE readings? 1% for the headline last month. That's with gasoline prices dropping. Six-tenths of a percent for the core. That excludes food and energy entirely. Yeah, and we're going to see somewhat better numbers in July and August, but I think the Fed is on the right side of this, saying, listen, we're not going to go on the laurels of supply suddenly coming up to meet demand and inflation sort of unwinding and uncoiling itself with these supply chain problems. There could be additional supply shocks out there. And exactly the thing the Fed should be worried about is more persistence, even if we see some improvements in these numbers, which I do think we will in July and August. That may not be enough, and we could get hit again. And I think the Fed is on the right side of saying, we still got to be tightening here, and we still got to be, we may adjust how much we tighten. We got a lot of data between now and September. I think it's at least a half percent move in September, if not another three quarters of a percent move by the Fed. And only that would bring 
monetary policy into what's considered tight. But also remember, in September, we'll be seeing that full balance sheet runoff by then as well. And that's going to amplify rate hikes and the tightening of credit market conditions in ways that nobody knows exactly how. That's something that's difficult for the Fed as well. And nobody, including the Federal Reserve, knows exactly how reductions in their balance sheet are going to play out over the next six months. Yeah, and I think in that sense, we're, you know, we're all right to look to the markets and say, OK, they when break evens were soaring, they were warning they were, the Fed was behind the curve. Now that they're correcting, we can perhaps trust and take some comfort from that return to more of, of a long term trend. Real quickly, there's this um, debate, I guess, kicking up between Larry Summers and, and Chair Powell, or at least coming from Larry Summers, about whether we've reached neutral on the interest rate or not. Yes, we're you know now up around two and a quarter percent, maybe two and a half on Fed funds. Um, Summer says there's no way that's neutral with the inflation rate so high. Does all of this matter? I mean, where, what is the destination point, do you think? Is the Fed going to be able to get there? Do you think they're going to be cutting rates uh, in the early part of next year? I actually don't think they're going to be cutting rates in the early part of next year. I think the Fed's going to be raising rates into 2023 and then holding them and seeing, you know, how far that gets them. If they need to go further, they'll go further. I don't think this is a Fed that's going to, willing to risk on, you know, a more entrenched inflation because they're already behind the curve and they've taken the damage to their credibility because of where they're at. That said, that means this is a Fed that's willing to risk a deeper recession. And something that we don't often talk about is that the Fed has no way of calibrating how rapidly the economy slows and how deep any recession we have. They'd like, at worst, a mild recession. They'd like to say we'd raise the unemployment rate a little bit, not too much, and everything sort of ends up okay. But the reality is they don't have the ability and the precision tools to calibrate what happens. And I think the biggest threat to the Fed is that they hit a tripwire and that we see the sins of low rates play out and some seizure in credit markets where they have to intervene right. where inflation and the entrenched inflation we see has not yet been derailed. Totally agree. And it's interesting. I'm glad we showed it on the screen there. Five and 10 year uh, inflation expectations have actually picked up in recent weeks, even as gasoline prices have dropped. And, you know, I don't want to call it a policy error, but it certainly suggests that, you know, they see a, a loosening of precisely the thing we're trying to ca calm down. Diane, thank you. We'll let you go and have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Diane Swank now with KPMG. My next guest says, even if we are heading into a recession, it is already priced in. He is adding stocks to his portfolios. What does he make about the whole inflation discussion we were just having? Jason Brady is here now. He's president and CEO of Thornburg Investment Management. Jason, just a comment, if you could, on kind of the, the macro landscape that you think we're in. Well, I think Diane is right in the context of uh, the Fed reaction function and, and the real challenge that we may have. And a tripwire is always a danger. Uh, I think that the the market has taken this uh, statement as a little more dovish than than it really is. Uh, that said, as as you mentioned, uh, from a macro environment, uh, I, I think that we are seeing a downturn, but the market is anticipating a lot of it. So labor force being strong is not enough to 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 really make me excited. That's a lagging indicator. Uh, but actually some market pricing and frankly, some of the guidance from earnings are, are more encouraging. Okay, so tell me what you're picking up that's encouraging, whether you think the back half could actually be a pretty decent period of time, uh, regardless of what may be lurking around the corner. 
So at Thornburg, we want, run a bunch of different kinds of portfolios, and, and I focus a lot on multi-asset portfolios. So on the fixed income side, uh, you're actually seeing some interesting opportunities within credit. Uh, fixed income can do things now that it hadn't been able to do for almost a decade in the context of actually providing some, some cushion, and credit has widened a lot. On, on the equity side, there are a number of different names that are benefiting from higher yields. And I think uh, viewers should look at some of the financial industry. Uh, Citigroup is an interesting name. Uh, sure, banks are often a macro challenge. In other words, as you go into recession, uh, it's a macro trade and they can go down. But looking at troubles from AT&T and Weber and Walmart and their view of the consumer, and then looking at bank balance sheets and how they're not seeing that really gives you a sense of the regulatory environment and its success over the last decade, such that those balance sheets are actually really good. So that's an interesting place, and they are pricing recession. All right. Elsewhere, I mean, you know, people have debated City endlessly, so I'm just going to walk away from that. But maybe CME Group, <laughs> um, NN Group, Mercado Libre, you have some international names here, and maybe the dollar is off its highs in a way that could be supportive for, for performance in the near term, at least. That's exactly, exactly right. So from a macro standpoint, the dollar has really been, you know, the dollar wrecking ball. It's been a real challenge for a number of international, uh, international names. That said, what you see, for example, from the ECB is that the ECB is now moving up again like the Fed is moving up. As much, no, uh, but actually really changing the dynamic maybe of the dollar euro uh, from continued strength and relentless strength to actually something a little more imbalanced. So NN Group, great example, uh, almost zero uh, Russia or Ukraine exposure, very interesting valuation below 10 times, interesting yield. And remember, insurance companies benefit from higher yields as they as they're able to invest and, and actually get something from from their uh, GA book. So that's a very interesting name for sure. So you're you're investing in a no recession uh, sort of a base case for it again at least the near term. Is that right? I actually think we're going to see recession at the end of this year and the beginning of next year. So it's not a no recession case. It's where can I go where there's high quality balance sheets, where there's excellent cash flow, where there's some dividend return, where you've seen some of that priced already yeah. such that I'm going to be in a shelter in the storm? Yeah, no, understood. I wanted to make sure it was understood. It's like, you know, the, the nuance here is getting um, tedious, uh, but important as always for <laughs> investing. Jason, thanks. Always. Thanks always. so much for your time. Jason Brady of Thornburg Investment Management. Still ahead here, Apple and Amazon hitting it out of the park with earnings. Roku, not so much. We have the story and the trades on those names ahead. Plus, fresh off his meeting with the president, the CEO of Corning joins us live right here in studio. Haven't done that for a while. What does he say is the biggest headwind facing his industry and his company right now? As we head to break, let's also get a quick check on markets trying to close out a positive week with the Dow up six-tenths of a percent, the S&P up one percent, the Nasdaq up 1.3 percent, and look at the 10-year note. 2.64. Wow, we're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. 
Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back, everybody. A big 24 hours for tech with Amazon shares soaring nearly 12 percent after a revenue beat and upbeat guidance. Apple 3 percent higher after also beating on revenue and profit. Intel down nearly 9 percent after a miss in its quarter. And Roku down 25 percent for its worst day ever after missing on the top and bottom line. Let's get to all of it. Clockwise Capital's James Chuckmuck has the story and trade on Apple and Amazon today. Our own Julia Borston and ad exec Mark Douglas have more on Roku's big challenges with the slowdown in the ad market front and center. Welcome, everybody. James, we'll start with you. Amazon was your big call, your biggest bet this year. You feel like it's paying off? Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite a relief, I got to tell you, given the size in in our portfolio. That being said, I think the main takeaway from this week is that secular forces always win over cyclical ones. And, and then we had this fear in the first half of this year with technology where the growth rates were slowing, how much of that COVID bump was artificial and how much was here to stay. And I think what we're seeing is that the best and brightest, the demand is really here to stay. And there's a reason when you look at the FANG, we don't we drop the F in the N. We don't really talk about that anymore because what you're seeing, I think what we're going to see increasingly is that valuation accrue over to the platform side, the true platforms. Like with Amazon, you're paying for delivery. With Apple, you're paying for privacy and service. With Facebook, you know, you're paying for free scrolling. And Netflix, obviously, is just a subscription service. So I think platforms will win. Services will suffer valuation-wise. And, and we're seeing that accrue uh, with Apple and Amazon last night and today. Yeah, so Amazon, you've made your case. We've talked about that one before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people were worried. Why do you think they did manage to buck the broader uh, trend that we're seeing across retail where there are massive headwinds? Um, do there, does that piece of their business just not matter? I, I think, I think we, we think about Amazon in terms of Prime, the Prime fry, flywheel. You know, what am I paying for as a customer for $130, $140? A year, you know, you're paying for time savings on the retail side and a whole host of other services that come along with Prime, from media to the grocery to um, to gaming, uh, whatnot. So, at the end of the day, you know, this is a company that can continue to propel that flywheel forward, and and they did exactly what they said they were going to do. I mean, if you look, if you read the second quarter, the first quarter transcript, the CFO on the call said, "Do not be fooled by the revenue growth numbers that you see." I mean, so there was every reason to believe that revenue growth would continue, would reaccelerate back to its historical sustainable averages over around 20%. You know, they guided to 21% if you back out FX at the high end for 3Q. So ultimately, the revenue growth is coming back. The demand was not artificial. It's here to stay. Hmm. And most importantly, the cost focuses in the, in the right sizing of the operations to be able to drive leverage in the model now and down the road. All right. And if I'm not mistaken, you think the stock's basically a double in the next couple of years. What about Apple? How much upside is there? Do you like it as much as Amazon? I like it as much as Amazon, but we don't own as much of it as Amazon, just given the fact that obviously the valuation 
you know, it is, it is a, a fairly valued, you know, we think, but obviously there's continues to be earnings power there. I think that the demand, just like with Amazon, is there to stay. And the customers, the way we think about it, is that the lifetime value of an Apple customer is far greater than any other uh, customer for any company in the world. And that will continue to grow over time. And obviously, you have the share repurchases and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you do have to keep in mind the valuation as well as be cognizant of the market cap. Uh, so we do think we're continuing to hold the position, but only see about 20, 10 to 20% upside more from here. All right. A final word, James. What about the rest of tech? Rest of tech, I mean, look, we're whether we're in a actual recession, how bad it's going to get, we're not sure. I don't think anybody really truly knows. But in during times of economic uncertainty, growth is scarce. So we think that dollars will continue to flow toward the highest quality tech names, the companies that are proving now in the second quarter that this growth was real, the demand is real, and that the sustainable averages on the growth curves are intact and scalability of the businesses are there. So we think that the company, as long as you're surgical, there's a lot of opportunity in tech and, uh, and, and that we continue to be very long and very bullish. All right, James, thank you. James Chuckmuck. Now with everything he just described, let's pivot to talk about some of those that aren't benefiting like Intel and especially Roku. Julia Borson and Mountain CEO Mark Douglas are here. Julia, a slowdown in ads, a theme again for Roku. Yes, that was one of the main factors that was cited uh, by Roku CEO when he explained the fact that not only did they miss both earnings and revenue um, estimates for the quarter, but they got into much lower results for the third quarter. And they couldn't even um, sustain any outlook for the, the second half of the year, looking towards the end of the year. And they just said they are seeing a broad-based ba broad advertising pullback, indicating that across various sectors, they're seeing advertisers take a pause. And one thing that I think is really interesting, Kelly, is this idea that advertisers may have committed a lot during this upfront ad sales period, even to Roku, as well as to other others. And now when they have the opportunity to not do any spending in this last minute or scatter market, that's where they're saying we're going to take a pause until we have more insight to what's going on with the consumer. And Mark, is this, you know, this is so reminiscent of the discussion we had around Snapchat. As we reach this juncture of earnings where we've heard from Meta, we've heard from some, you know, from Google, what is the key takeaway for you here? Well, I think it's a lot more nuanced than Roku is stating. So the way life works is you're in tough times, you uh, try to optimize all your costs. And so that includes marketing. When companies look at their marketing expenses, everything close to the consumer is actually going to be left alone, even possibly increased. And the things farthest away from the consumer are going to be cut. So Google paid search is closest to the consumer. It's first step, it's last step and potentially often first step um, leading the purchase. And brand advertising is furthest away from the consumer. So most of the cuts in that a company is going to do is going to be on the brand advertising side of business. And that's what is affecting Roku. So it's not as broad, it's broad for Roku. It's not necessarily as broad for Google. And Facebook fits somewhere in the middle. Meta fits somewhere in the middle. I was thinking of you, Mark, when I saw Procter & Gamble this morning. You know, the shares are down 5% right now. But are they exactly the kind of big advertising customer you're talking about? Well, um, the thing about Procter & Gamble, they're not actually that very direct-to-consumer. So direct-to-consumer brands that are going to tend not to pull back on things like paid search and to a lesser extent paid social. Procter & Gamble, most of their products are sold through other sellers like Target and Walmart, you know, like, like those kind of sellers sure. sold through 
consumers and supermarkets. So Procter and Gamble, you may see those. They are in that big category of brand, more brand advertisers that are likely to make cuts. Um, but you know, for Amazon, their sellers are actually likely to spend more. You're just going to move budget to everything that's close to the consumer, like I said, and then everything else suffers. Fascinating. Julia, leave us a parting thought on Roku. I mean, where do they do from here? This is a huge challenge for them now. It shows that, if nothing else, they're not close enough to the consumer, like Mark's describing, to get those prized dollars when the environment turns away from them. That's absolutely right. And I would say this market is also getting more competitive. Remember, they're not only competing for those streaming ad dollars with the likes of Paramount Plus and Peacock and Hulu and some of those ad supported streamers that have been out there for a while. But you're going to see Disney Plus get into the market with an ad supported version of that app. And then we're going to see Netflix get in as well. So that market that they're competing in there is getting increasingly crowded and competitive. And I think Mark is absolutely right. The closer uh, a, a platform is to the consumer, the more they can directly measure not only what someone wants, but whether or not they went and bought it, the better off they're going to be. And I think that's why I would watch Amazon as a very powerful player in this space right now as well, similar to what Google has with Search. And that brings us full circle to the moves of today. Guys, thank you so much. We'll leave it there. Julia Borston and Mark Douglas. And you'll be hearing, I'm sorry, you won't be hearing from Jim Cramer on Mad Money tonight, but Dear Jabosa will be talking all things tech at 6 p.m. with noted investors Kathy Wood and Dan Niles. Make sure you don't don't miss that again. That's our special tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Seal ahead. It's a farm to table theme for today's three buys and a bail. The bail is this stock, this mystery chart down more than 50 percent this year. The name and why Gina Sanchez is staying far away. Plus, the transports are up double digits this month. But what about recession? We're going to look at the biggest winners in the group and what's driving these gains. Don't go anywhere. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicholas and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagles Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound. Or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at OCOcean.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. I'm Bertha Coombs with your news update at this hour. Russia and Ukraine are trading accusations after dozens of Ukrainian prisoners of war were killed in a separatist region of eastern Ukraine. Russia says it found fragments of a U.S.-supplied rocket in the charred remains of a prison. Ukraine denies it is responsible, saying it has intercepted phone calls indicating Russian troops detonated explosives 
inside the building to cover up evidence that they have been torturing and executing prisoners there. The Justice Department is accusing a Russian man of being responsible for what it calls a brazen influence campaign that turned U.S. citizens and a group into instruments of the Russian government by amplifying political divisions in the country. And in his most extensive comments since he slapped Chris Rock during the Oscars, Will Smith says he's deeply remorseful. In a video, Smith says he tried to speak directly with Rock, but was told the comedian is not yet ready to engage. So I will, I will say to you, uh, Chris, I apologize to you. Uh, my behavior was unacceptable, and I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. On the news tonight, video evidence of some unusual visitors that are delighting New Yorkers. That's at 7 Eastern time. And Kelly, I understand that you are anchoring tonight, so... <laughs> I think it's going to be Tyler, but I think I oh. was going to guess it's the dolphins that be. The, That's uh, what I was wondering. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we have to wait till seven. I, I'm, I don't want to ruin it, but I, I think it might be the dolphins. Uh, Bertha, thank you very much. We appreciate it, Bertha Coombs. <laughs> Up next, we're headed out to the farm in today's food edition of Three Buys and a Bail. The ag names to add to your portfolio and the food name to leave behind. It's all next. Welcome back, everybody. Inflation continuing to run hot. The PCE index rose 6.8% in June. That's the biggest 12-month move since 1982. So we wanted to take a look at some of the names that might be weathering these increases and some that can't in today's food edition of Three Buys and a Bail. My next guest is going farm to table with her picks, and she's ditching delivery. Joining me now is Gina Sanchez, Lido Advisors Chief Market Strategist and a CNBC contributor. Gina, it's great to see you. Let's start with John Deere. And by the way, I mean, totally on a side note, but Roku, we've talked about that one, and that was just a disaster. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, where could we go with that? <laughs> a, a million different places. But let's let's talk food. That's what we're here to do. John Deere has been on a hot streak, opposite story of Roku, really, up 10% this week. It's down less mm -hmm. than a percent this year. You say this is the quintessential ag tech play. So I guess there is technology in here. Absolutely. In fact, John Deere has really been focused on building tractors that can evaluate, you know, the, where to plant the seeds in order to get the biggest crop, to get the best crop yield. And this year, it's all going to it's going to be entirely about yield, because if you look at what you know, what happens if Ukraine continues uh, to be uh, a war zone, you know, never mind the energy play, the ag play is equally, uh, uh, you know, catastrophic to the inflation story. That food uh, price inflation is huge. And so farmers have to be able to um, get the best yields. And right now, because food prices are high, farmers are making tons of money. And that means that usually when you see big farmer seats, the next year you see big tractor buying. This is huge for John Deere. And John Deere has the best tech options for these farmers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just worth pointing out as we move from Deere to Mosaic, there are uh, several names here that are way more than bucking the trend for the market this year and actually doing quite nicely. Mosaic is up 32% this year. You think that's sustainable? 
You know, the interesting thing about Mosaic, that story's been, been going for a while. We think it actually still has room to grow. If you look at the EPS forecasts, right now they're still 19%, and we think there's some upside uh, to those forecasts. And it's trading at four times earnings. So <laughs> you're not exactly overpaying uh, for this company, even with all of that price, you know, appreciation that we've had. Um, and, and so, you know, Mosaic is obviously in the business of fertilizer. And what's interesting about Mosaic is it's got a two-pronged play. It's not only sort of feeding into this necessity to use fertilizers to boost yields, which farmers need to do, but they also, they mine for phosphates. Phosphates are a big component of EV batteries, and we're about to pass a climate bill. So Mosaic's going to get it actually on a couple of different uh, sides where they're going to get some interesting demand for their product. All right. The final buy of yours, Archer Daniels Midland, again, a name that doesn't come up here a lot, but this stock is up 21 percent in 2022. You don't think about Archer Daniels because they're sort of the middleman. They basically, they go, they source the crops, they source all the carbohydrates, corn, wheat, they mill it, uh, they turn it into product that then gets used in the food and beverage market. So they're sort of, nobody thinks about Archer Daniels, but they have an expected 50% EPS growth for next year. That's huge. For 12.5% times forward EPS, you know, you're getting a pretty good deal with this. All right. So those are your three, all as we say, farm to table buys. There is another name in the food space, if we want to call it that, a former darling, but not this year, DoorDash, down 54 percent. Yeah, DoorDash got a lot of love during the pandemic because everybody was having everything delivered. And the problem with DoorDash, and by the way, I wasn't a DoorDash lover even during the pandemic, mm -hmm. was that their model doesn't work. They are still upside down in their operating leverage. They they actually like lose money for every meal they deliver. Who wants to invest into that? And if they can't fix that and there's no path yet to, to, to reversing that, um, then we just don't see this as, as any kind of a long-term sustainable investment. What about kind of relatedly Uber, that one a little bit more diversified, but facing the same fundamental challenge you described? You know, I mean, Uber has actually managed to cross over into profitability because for a long time they had negative operating leverage. Uber Eats is only a tiny component of, of what Uber is trying to do. You know, I was never a lover of, of Uber, and I probably still am not, um, just because I think that the way that they came into the industry was to disrupt it um, by selling cheaper than everyone else, effectively dumping, price dumping into the industry. Yeah. Um, and now they can't keep it up. So everybody's now complaining that Ubers cost more. That's what happens. That's real life, kids. I know. I think about it with all the startups now that we continue to see. Uh, and it's just like, don't tempt me. Don't get me hooked because I know where this is going. Gina, thanks exactly. very much. We appreciate it. Gina Sanchez, three buys and a bail. Stocks are looking to close out a positive week. We'll run through some of the biggest drivers of this rally in just a moment. And as we head to break, let's check out shares of Meta. Why? It's out of the biggest top 10 U.S. companies by market cap. It closed above a trillion dollars last September. It's now less than half that, worth $428 million or so. Chump change. We're back in a moment. 
Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Closing out the week here with the Dow about 200 points, slightly off session highs. NASDAQ leading the way again with a 1.4% gain. Believe it or not, all 11 sectors are in the green this week, which looks to be positive for the markets. Energy, utilities, and industrials are leading the way. Energy with a 4% gain there. Some of the movers this hour include Procter & Gamble. I mentioned this earlier, but they're lower after some mixed results. They missed by a penny on the bottom line. They also predicted the slowest organic sales growth since 2019 as Consumers pull back PNG shares down five and a half percent. Meanwhile, new features for drivers, not enough to boost Uber today. The announcements, uh, announced enhancements include upfront fares, which show exactly how much a driver will earn and where they're going, trip radar, which is a list of trip requests nearby, and a debit card that provides cash back when used to pay for gas. Uber shares are falling about 1%. They're also denying merger reports with India's Ola. And from Ola to Sola, the solar stocks are surging again today on the heels of the Manchin-Schumer deal and stronger than expected earnings from the likes of Enphase this week. Enphase hitting an intraday all-time high at 286. We're slightly off that level now for a 3% gain, but look at first solar, the biggest mover on the session, now up 14%. Still ahead, the semiconductor industry is slowly getting back to normal, but there's another shortage hitting tech now. It's one of fiber optic cables, a huge headache for companies like Amazon and Meta and Verizon. We'll talk to the CEO of Corning, which has all of them as customers, about how and when this will be fixed. That's next. Welcome back to The Exchange. For over a year now, we've been following the supply chain snags resulting from shortages of key components like semiconductors. Now there's a struggle to keep up with soaring demand for fiber optic cable. It's used in all sorts of telecommunications and high-speed internet. Demand for fiber is at all-time highs. The U.S. added 7 million more broadband subscribers since the pandemic, and usage globally is up 33% from pre-pandemic norms. But still, only 40% of Americans and 30% of the rest of the globe are connected by fiber based broadband. Government investments in the likes of Biden's infrastructure bill do aim to connect everybody else if manufacturers could keep up. Joining us now with exclusive insight on set is Wendell Weeks. He's the chairman and CEO of Corning. He was just part of President Biden's CEO roundtable. Thank you for coming up here. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here in person as well. So the challenge yesterday, I, I suppose, or, or maybe the opportunity yesterday was to highlight what the strength of the economy um, at the White House. But you guys are facing some challenges getting enough product to customers. Is that right? Well, it's really mixed. The president wanted to have our insight as to what's really going on with the economy. And since we just uh, posted our quarter two results, it was pretty easy to share. Uh, well, we grew about 7% in revenue year over year, 8% in earnings per share. So good, solid results. But underneath the surface, which is very strong demand in infrastructure, optical communications and solar, more than offsetting some softness in consumer electronics hmm. and in auto. Which I wonder, because consumer is so visible to us, the fact that that's your softest part, is that why everyone's thinking, okay, this whole economy is weak, but from what you're describing, demand still sounds pretty strong in, in more of the industrial areas. Totally depends on which business you are in, but for optical communications and solar, the sort of infrastructure of the future, uh, we see demand continuing to be quite strong. Is it so strong that you're having trouble meeting supply? At the moment, things are tight. If I could make more, I could sell more, which is a good place to be in some regards. But we want to be able to build enough capacity so that our customers can get their needs met. And we're doing that. 
We are in the midst of starting up a brand new fiber facility, as well as a brand new optical cable facility, and uh, perhaps more to come in the near future. Well, feel free to announce anything you want to. I know we're not the White House, but, uh, but we'll take it. We spoke with a smaller manufacturer in the Midwest earlier this mm -hmm. week, Aptar Group. Um, they make a lot of essential things. Demand is very strong. 15% of their workforce is basically gone missing since the pandemic, mm -hmm. among other challenges. What are you seeing on the labor front? Well, we're really lucky. It's a 472-year-old company. Uh, we invent life-changing innovations. And so when we're hiring, uh, the line pretty much goes around the block. We treat people well. We tend to be lifetime employers. So we really haven't had a problem attracting talent. And now uh, that is a blessing. We don't take it for granted, but we've been able to do that. Do you have a sense of what your wages are up year on year? Because when we look at reasons why we might be able to avoid a recession, that is one of them. Definitely our pay is up year over year, both for our production workforce as well as our salaried workforce. You know, there's good inflation and bad inflation. I got to tell you, paying people more, that's pretty good inflation. So what is it that's holding you back from being able to produce more? Well, the main thing has just been time. What happened is going into the pandemic, our customers reduced their capital spending by about two thirds. Our big carrier customers, our big hyperscale cloud players, our big 5G players, right? They reduced by about two thirds. Then when we all went into the pandemic, demand soared. Broadband usage went up by 50, 60%. Cloud-based revenues went up 60, 70 percent. All sorts of new people became connected to broadband. And so what that did is it outstrapped the already in place capacity. So we have to catch up for that. And so now our customers have increased their CapEx by about 10 times. Yeah, wow. And so all we need to do is kind of catch up to that. And we'll get enough in. It's just going to take us a little bit of time, but we'll, we'll, we'll be up and ready to go. I mean, the, the delay might be a benefit because if that demand doesn't all persist, you don't want to get caught um, short, you know, sort of flat footed by that. But then again, we know we're kind of building a lot of this for the long run. Final question. You have been CEO, as you said, for 15 years. You've you were through the Great Recession or it must have been right around that time. Mm -hmm. You've been through a number of different kinds of economies. How would you describe the the current environment that we're in, it, and how does it compare with other ones that you've had to navigate? Well, I think this current environment's different in some ways, but also just worth reflecting back over the pandemic. Uh, because of the, I don't know, we have 60,000 great people now, much bigger than when I took over. We've grown as much in revenue over that time period as the whole size of the company was when I first took over. So there's like more and more opportunities, like even in a macro environment that's soft, right? There's always micro markets for growth, especially if you have new innovation. And that's what we've been blessed with the last two and a half years. And we'll see how we navigate this latest environment. Sure. I, I guess I would also wonder if your material cost inflation is getting better or not. You know, do you see it letting up there or is it still your biggest issue? We still have inflation haunting us. But what we've had to do is go to our customers and sort of share that cost more appropriately. And that's been what's behind our increasing profitability in quarter two as our customers have been kind enough to agree with us that it'd be more appropriate if they took their fair share. I'm sure it's just out of the kindness of their hearts. They <laughs> happily <laughs> hand over that. Wendell, it's great to have you here and, and get your frontline insight. Thank you so much.
My pleasure. We appreciate it. Wendell Weeks is the chairman and CEO of Corning. U.S. energy firms added nine oil and nat gas rigs this week for a record 24 months in a row. That's according to the Baker Hughes weekly number just out. Take a look at the impact on energy prices. WTI crude still up 2%, nat gas down about 1%. Total rigs, 767 this week. That's the highest uh, that we've seen since the pandemic and up by more than 57% compared with this time a year ago. Still ahead, July has been good to this logistics company whose shares are up nearly 20% for the month. We'll reveal it and talk about why the transports keep on truck and defying that recession talk. That's next. Welcome back. Before we go, check out the Dow transports higher by 10% in July. Frank Holland is here to highlight the biggest individual gainers, including that mystery chart, which was XPO. Frank? Well, hey there, Kelly. You know, it's not just XPO. ArcBest also up 20% this month. Other big trucking names rallying double digits outperforming the S&P. A lot of this is due to the uncertainty around labor negotiations for both the West Coast ports, where about 45 percent of all imports enter, and labor negotiations with U.S. rail workers. Also, consumer spending numbers, they've remained strong despite inflation. Retail up 6 percent in June year over year and up 17 percent compared to pre-pandemic. The stickiness of e-commerce, another tailwind. I spoke with the CEO of Saya. That's a trucker for Starbucks and Home Depot. He says the volumes may be lower, but companies are putting a much higher value on reliability. We expect to be able to continue to uh, push our sort of pricing initiatives because we feel like it's very indicative of what the customer is getting in return, a very high level service. So we feel pretty good about what those rates will look like through the balance of the year. And as the West Coast port talks continue, we're really seeing a big shift in imports. The port of New Jersey and New York, for example, seeing a double digit increase last month. That's just another positive for trucking companies. They can charge more to help companies reconfigure their supply chains. Kelly. So the message for a lot of investors, Frank, is simply the transports are a classic indicator to watch for market sell offs, bear market recession, you name it. And this month it's going the other way. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, one one phrase in the transport industry is that mystery equals margin. The more questions there are about labor negotiations, backups, you know, warehouse space, things like that, that's actually better for most transport companies. True. Although I guess, you know, we can have the wrong kind of mystery that we've saw for much of the early part of the year. They seem to be hit with this double whammy, like you said, of labor and freight costs. They couldn't just benefit from this booming economy. Do you think that's changing now? We've seen a reset in fuel costs. I'm not so sure about the labor side, though. Well, the labor side, especially for the rails, that is a bit challenging. Uh, Some of the rail companies have flagged They hire people, but people go to their training uh, classes, if you will, and they decide it's just not for them. It's very demanding work. And in many cases, you have to work long hours. Um, For truckers, it's a bit of a different story. Labor is more expensive, but it's more available. All right. And there we can see a lot of these stocks are still down, um, you know, more than 10 percent easily for the year. This month, though, marking a little bit of a trend. Frank, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Our Frank Holland on the transport. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicholas and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagles Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound. Or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at OCOcean.com.